For Kevin, he's a very powerful player. He has a lot of loading from a linear fashion and he tends to do at times he can get too much into his lead leg and his lead side, particularly his his front foot, too quickly. For Kevin, if we go back to um, last year, particularly, it's actually about about this time last year at Bay Hill, he was struggling a little bit, really struggling to find the bottom swing. And so that was because he was getting so much into his toes, a lot of pressure. His pressure shift was getting really from the trail heel to the lead toe, and long hitters do that anyway. The problem was his was getting there so quickly that he then had to sort of decelerate, tilt backwards, late stall, and then flip or face, and he would have a, a, an array of inconsistencies. Lots, lots of pushes, lots of hooks, lots of thins, shots in the heel. So what we did is we said, okay, well, we need to add some stability to your lower body. We need to try and allow your, your hip to rotate more. You're listening to the Golf Science Lab. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Cordy Walker. And by that opening clip there, you can kind of get an idea of what we're talking about today. Technique. Golf swing technique, right? It's this huge focus in the golfing world. Most of what we talk about and think about golf instruction, we think about swing technique. But if we take a step back and talk about why we make technique changes, what comes to light. That's what we're doing today with Mark Blackburn. He's an awesome, awesome instructor. He has a stable of tour players. Kevin Chappell is one of those, as you heard. And he's going to talk about his process for making a technique change. What do we have to go through before we make a change? When we're making a change, what kind of feedback works best? And and all of the, the things that go with this. And I enjoy this conversation with Mark because he's done it at a number of levels from obviously the PGA Tour to junior golfers and everywhere in between. So it's a really good conversation. I think it's an important one that we need to start having more in this world of golf improvement. But before we get to this week's episode, a quick word from our sponsor of the episode, Body Track. In this episode, we actually hear from someone who uses Body Track a lot. Mark is one of the teachers for this certification we've been talking about on these ads here for Body Track. He shares how the ground can impact a player's golf swing and everything you need to understand if you want to know about this ground and player connection. I highly recommend this. Mark is an awesome educator, as you can tell from listening to this podcast. Uh, And he teaches this course, the certification with Dr. Sasha McKenzie, who's one of our guests recently as well. They are both experts at this and the way they created this course with short videos, easy to understand. I really recommend it. Use the coupon code Golf Science Lab. You will get an awesome discount. They're super generous with that. Head over to golfsciencelab.com slash bodytrack or click the link in this episode uh, post along with us and you'll be directed over there. Sign up and go through it. Let me know if you did. I want to hear your feedback and what you think of the course because I think it is one of the best and that is why they are a sponsor of the Golf Science Lab. It is awesome education. Check it out. Let's start this conversation talking about why you'd want to make a swing change. Here we go. So number one is always injury. So is the player suffering from an injury? Are they likely to have an injury as a consequence of what they're doing? So that's number one. And every player compensates. The problem is over time, especially at the elite level, those compensations manifest themselves in a chronic injury. And then often enough, that turns into a traumatic injury. And now they have surgery and then they're out. So when they return from surgery and they're coming back to play a lot of times 
we're trying to try and prevent them from having an injury reoccur and then that necessitates changing the motor pattern what's you know what's the engine of their swing what's led them to the injury previously and then how do we match some different movements how do we change some things so that we don't go down that road so that's number one number one is injury that is a lot easier delivery to the player because they've been through surgery or they've been through the injury and the pain they don't want that so they associate the issue and then they're very much into changing and making adjustment so that so that one's a little easier that also tends to have a little bit more of a long-term sort of time frame in, in making the change which from a coaching standpoint is a lot easier expectations are lower that's great now the second one is generally when performance is diminishing and the, the wonderful thing about statistical data now things like shot link on the J Tour, and then other strokes gained apps that college golfers use, you do actually have objective data as to, look, here is an issue. Either it's a left tendency or a right tendency. Whatever it may be, they're consistently short. Maybe they're consistently long. That necessitates, hey, we need to make an adjustment in your technique, which is leading to this. And so then again, you have objective data as to why. Now, the important question I always ask everybody is what shot do you want to hit? So knowing that and what their sort of go-to baseline shot is, that gives me a lot easier understanding of, okay, well, why would they perhaps have this miss? If they want this particular shot pattern, what mechanics are they producing that will hinder that and will also lead to their big miss, so to speak? So for me, once I have that, I'm armed with enough data to support my reasoning for why I would make an adjustment and why I would make a change. Once you have that, then it becomes very easy to be persuasive and for the player to buy into it. Now, I would say on the latter reason to make a mechanical change, they're probably not quite as patient and their expectations are a little higher when they're not coming back from injury, but more they're trying to get rid of a shot. And so golfers, as a rule of thumb, once they've done done it once and they think they can do it again they go from a, a mid iron trying to do something and then they want to master it with a driver and oh, i've got it and i'm ready to go but we all know that patterns occur over time and then as soon as the lights and the music come on a lot of time we get that regression because they're going back to sort of their primal instinct of how they played golf and so there's two reasons to change one is a little easier than the other but at the same time those would generally be the two major reasons. Me as a, what I would call a pretty agnostic coach, I don't have a style preference. My only preference is if you want to draw the ball versus fade the ball, or I think there are certain things that drawers of the ball are predisposed to more than faders of the ball and vice versa. But other than that, I don't care how you do it. All my players over time, everyone swings very differently. They deliver the club the same way for them every time. And so I think once you sort of of embrace why am I making the change is it injury or is it performance once you've got that and that's your sort of roadmap then it becomes a lot easier to to get into actually how to make the change I think that part is a little easier once you've got the premise of why you're doing it do you think that people jump to making technique changes too quickly just based off one range sessions ball flight perhaps and I think one of the one great thing about things like TrackMan now is that you can take a sample size of shots and put someone in a random environment 
and ask them to hit a variety of shots and then see how good their skill actually is. Once you know that, now that tells you whether, okay, you probably need to make the change or not. I think at the club level, a lot of times people abandon things and they think they need to change thing, taking ownership of what they do. And a lot of times, they're good players, when you're making a mechanical change, it, it may be as simple as a ball position adjustment and alignment adjustment to accommodate some of the movement patterns that they already have, but you're trying to give them better ownership and better understanding of their matchups and why they do it. So I don't think you'd ever jump into just randomly making a change. You want to see how good their skill actually is, shots, call to different targets, different distances with the specific shape that they see or they, they need to see. And I think I'd be the first to tell you that as a younger coach in my infancy, I'd always be, oh, well, you need to change this and we should do this. But a lot of times now I try and take a more 10,000-foot view, take a step back and try and see why they do what. Okay, well, hold on a minute. Here's some of the adjustments you need to make. Here's why you, you're going down that road. So is by going through that process kind of testing to see if the player has function with a not-so-great form that they already have? Yeah, I mean, definitely. You're, you're, some people, so so there's a European tour player that comes to mind, Eamon Darcy. And if you ever saw Eamon swing, it was particularly eclectic, which is a nice way to put it. It's definitely in the early 90s, late 80s, before the advancement of cameras. But, I mean, his golf swing was horrific, but his skill was fantastic. So in today's sort of environment, a lot of times when we microanalyze things, you might look at that and go, well, well you need to change that. But Knowing what we know now about forces and talks and the way the club works actually kind of makes sense. The same for a golfer like Ronan Rafferty, Miller Barber. Like you, you can go on and on and on. As long as the golfer understands what they're doing and they are able to execute on demand what they need to, that then sort of negates making any changes. However, if they can't execute on demand, then there's definitely a good reason to say, okay, well, look, now we need intervention. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to adjust it. So we absolutely do not want to recklessly jump into a technique change just because we think it might look better. Uh, there has to be a good reason. There has to be a good why behind every decision and some testing, some initial assessments to even see what a golfer can do physically. And here's that example we started the episode with what Mark is working on with Kevin Chapel on a swing change. For Kevin, he's a very powerful player. He has a lot of loading from a linear fashion, and he tends to, at times, he can get too much into his lead leg and his lead side, particularly his, his front foot, too quickly. So, you know, a lot of players, what they tend to do is they tend to get ahead of it and they get steep. So another player that might do something of that would be maybe Adam Scott. And so what you're trying to always do is give them some reference points. It's okay, look. We have too much of this. We call it moving the needle. If the needle's too far in one bias, then we need to bring it back more to being neutral. And so for Kevin, if we go back to um, last year, particularly, it's actually about, about this time last year at Bay Hill, he was struggling a little bit, really struggling to find the bottom swing. And so that was because he was getting so much into his toes, a lot of pressure. His pressure shift was getting really from the trail heel to the lead toe. And long hitters do that anyway. The problem was his was getting there so quickly that he then had to sort of decelerate, tilt backwards, late stall, and then flip or face. And 
he would have a, a, an array of inconsistencies, shots, lots of pushes, lots of hooks, lots of thins, shots in the heel. So what we did is we said, okay, well, we need to add some stability to your lower body. We need to try and allow your, your hips to rotate more. And so for him, he, his sensation was a lot less linear. Now, interestingly enough for him, he's got some phenomenal external rotation in his hips. Typically, we like to see quite a lot of internal rotation to be able to post into the lead leg, but you can do some things creatively with the lower body and the way the knees move to, to try and utilize that external rotation. And so for him, he, he definitely has a sort of a bowing look of the lower body with the, with the knees, and you see that as a, a sort of of a popular instructional sort of trend right now but reality is we're all for him all we're doing is trying to stabilize the bottom of the arc allow him to still get to his lead toe but actually allowed him to post into his lead heel stabilize the club stop the club swing direction and path getting too far to the right um, stop him extending to the ball quite so much and so for us it's being able to utilize how the golfer interacts with the ground but then sort of back that into how to control the bottom of the arc and the club. Because at the end of the day, better players aren't moving in towards the ball as much as poor players. And anytime your body occupies the space that your hands are in at address, well, now there needs to be a compensation. Often the handle stands up excessively. Now you change the lie angle of the club. And then obviously that's reflected in face angle. And now you've got a huge dispersion in shots. So the good players, particularly who are trying to pepper the flag, ball in front of them they need precision and control always trying to make sure we stabilize keep the low point in the same spot so they can have a predictable face angle and then they can obviously build a predictable club path from that and then that's one of those things where understanding hey look here's a mechanical issue a little bit too much lateral motion dumb down too much slide in the swing we need to stabilize that based on how you move this is the mechanism we're going to utilize to allow you to do that and then it's very much a question of using a lot of work in the gym. He works with Dr. Craig Davies out on the PGA Tour. And so Craig and I, we kind of come up with patterns of movement, which without the golf ball are ingraining what we're trying to do. Because a lot of times, as soon as you put that golf ball there, again, we go back, we have a breath. You're going to go back to the same patterns. And so if you're working on loading and unloading, a lot of times we get rid of the golf ball to start with. Once we get the pattern of movement doing the right thing, then we sort of gradually add a golf club, no golf ball. And then eventually we go to a golf ball very slowly and then we add speed and then we obviously go to, to normal speed. But that's kind of the progression of how we would do it, why we would do it in order to make an adjustment based on poor technique. Teaching aids, technology, they're all great things to expedite the learning curves. It's technology gets a huge rap, a lot of... Uh, television commentators and pundits and journalists sort of cr are very critical of technology but the benefit of things like KVEST, body track, video analysis is that TheraBand, any, any types of aids that the golfer can kinesthetically feel sensory by feedback like audio visual anything you can do that gives them an awareness or actually parameters of when they've done something right and when they've done something wrong is, is huge to expedite the learning curve. So what we try and do is create a barrier. I intentionally will push someone into their fault. So for Kevin, I'd push him into his toes in the downswing. I'd push him into his lead leg to force him to stabilize. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, well, you, we're going to pull you back. We're going to stop you sliding. But I actually want to increase them doing that. So now they have to try and physically do something 
think to recruit engage different muscles to be able to stabilize and so dumb down all, all we're trying to do is to create an awareness of here is here's the issue here's what you're doing and then here's the solution that you need to have and they can be very simple and golfers create feels and expressions and visuals and, and a narrative for what they're trying to correct they do that based on the feedback tools that we give them and so sometimes it could be as simple as a lot on a live screen up the lead lead ankle and you're trying not to cross that line sometimes it could be a line down the tailbone alternatively it might well be using the body track and the dash app and using some biofeedback to try and make sure pressure doesn't get excessively out towards the toes it's a little more heel biased we might give the sensation of a little bit more of a, a linear feeling trace we don't necessarily want that we still want a little bit of that thrust out towards the toe because that's a, a great decelerator and a, a, a big power source but at the same time we don't want it to be excessive and we don't want it to happen too quickly so those are all mechanisms that we use same as k-vest put the, someone in the k-vest set the parameters now all of a sudden you only give them a few degrees of variance for sort of linear slide now all of a sudden they, they get to get a feel of that so those are all mechanisms that we use sometimes it can be as simple as a stick on the range you stick off the lead leg lots of things from quite complex to, to eventually very very simple so that they just resonate with the player and the player is able to get the feeling execute and now they're able to then go perform and so you know a lot of technical information is always dumbed down to a very very simple thought or feel that is then able to be reproduced on the lesson tee on the golf course as someone's hitting a golf shot so the theory is one thing, but good feedback is key on making a change. And whether it's technology, like Mark mentioned, or changing the environment so that a student or golfer can gain awareness more organically, like changing the ground that you stand on can be awesome feedback tools. So let's say somebody stays on their trail foot a lot. If you get on a downhill slide, and that's generally going to encourage the person to get a little bit more into their lead leg work down the slopes so they may be more a little more efficient get their center pressure and their mass more into their front foot to, to maximize their speed and the same can be saying of somebody who gets out ahead of it and slides and steep you might put them on an upslope so there's, there's lots of different ways to utilize slopes side slope uphill downhill to give golfers the sensation what do they need to do to stabilize and how would that affect what they're trying to do with the club? And a lot of times the ground is such a great sort of, if you like, neutralizer of tendencies. Because if we put someone in a certain environment, we have to adapt. That has a huge change in a, in a very short amount of time. And I think that changing lie angle, as in the ground, how you react to it, uphill, downhill, side hill, that can really help you understand, hey, well, I need to do this a little bit differently to counter that which then obviously has an, an effect on how you control the club. At the end of the day, it's, it's, you can work it two different ways. You can work from the ground end, but a lot of people tend to, to do well with the ground end because, first off, they're not really that aware of it, but also it's, it's an easy thing for them to feel. I actually talked with Mark as he was on his way into Bay Hill for the Arnold Palmer here in 2018, and it was just a year earlier when they started really working on these changes with Kevin Chapel, And here's how that progress happened over the past year. Good players. They, they work at it very diligently. We started, you know, he'd been struggling coming in to, on the West Coast. He hadn't played very well last year. We sort of started what we were trying to do at Bay Hill. We used some video. We used a 
KVS, uh, we used a little bit of, we'll probably use more of the uh, body track to try and get that feel. And then he ended up, he played quite well the four weeks and then he finished six at the Masters. So, and then he won two weeks later at Valero. So again, if it's the right information, it, it works out very well a lot of times. It's just the player's got to first see some progression with it. Okay, that makes sense. That's different. I'm having a different outcome. Okay, now they can buy into it and then they, they can chase those feels. And that's really how it goes. I mean, when you're on the PGA Tour, you don't have that many um, apparatus. So iPads are really useful. Things like the body track dash, using that where you can draw lines on the screen and you can see it and there's right there real-time biofeedback. Those things are really, really useful. So technology is great. iPhones, use video, pull it right up. Anything that creates awareness of what they're doing, using bands, using sticks, mirrors, all those things, stuff that's not particularly complicated, but just trying to, once you get that feel, trying to create what you want them to do so that now they can, okay, I can see that that works, then work on some random and variable type practice where they're hitting different shots, trying to accommodate that feel. And now all of a sudden you have a chance to make that change. But, you know, players have patterns all the time. If you work with a player, you you can see nuances in their swings that other people may not see. So there might be a slight difference from uh, one year to another. I know I've had a few conversations with Michael Bannon, who coaches Rory McIlroy, and he talks about certain years where Rory was swinging well that year, and then this year that was more of a cut pattern. So it's really interesting to to understand once you start working with players that you, the small variances that can have a huge difference. And once they have a feel that that they're good with, they're able to chase it. It's stretching those fields out. And obviously, if they move the needle all the way the other way, then you may end up having to add a little bit back of what they did before. But that's the circle of golf that that never really ends. Well, it's funny, we're talking a year later, you're at Bay Hill again. Has the feedback and things, the techniques that you're working on changed in a year from now? Or are you still kind of focused on the same things? Uh, we're probably f- very much focused on similar things. I mean, definitely a, a bias to him to try and offset some of the things he he does naturally. And at different times in people's career, you you add different pieces to match certain movements. And then other times you add different things. And so I would say that we're still working very much on, on the same pieces. Some things have improved a lot and other things, you know, they tend to regress and then you address them again. And so, again, it's never ending. Someone's tendencies are their tendencies. You're just trying to, to manage them. That last line really resonates. We all have tendencies and it's about trying to manage them. Let's talk a bit more about that because I hear a lot of people mention that they're going through a new swing change, right? Or maybe they're changing their swing again. Maybe you hear that a couple times in a season that they're making swing changes. That's why they're on the range or they're playing badly because they're making a swing change. Uh, I'm sure you've heard that. And let's be honest, we probably jump too quickly to making a swing change or we change away from what we're trying to do because we're hoping to find that magic bullet, right? That quickly cures us and we don't have to go through this battle of, of getting better to scale that we just want that, that quick swing change. Just get me that result, right? Well, what should we actually be looking for? So you should definitely see that from a skill standpoint, a skill acquisition, and then from an outcome standpoint, if you're doing the right things fairly immediately, when someone does what you want them to do or they're more in line with the, the pattern of movement that you're prescribing, they should see better outcomes. Now, it may not be at a very high ratio, but 
they should definitely feel a difference and see a difference in the ball flight, what their intention is, from what their intention is versus what they were doing before. Now, if you don't, then a lot of times you're doing the wrong thing. But typically, you're going to see an improvement and a difference, whether it's video, whether it's TrackMan, whether it's 3D. Certainly, golfers feel when you make an adjustment. Now, it won't be 10 out of 10 every time, and it, you know, feel-wise, but the chances of them, ah, oh, that feels pretty good when I did it right, they may start by getting one out of 10 right. Then as they go and they progress, they might start to get to a 50%. And then eventually, once we can get them over to the 80% range, if they can execute it 80% of the time, well, now, now it's a very good chance that they can go use it in a performance setting. So that's the kind of way you look at it. Now, if there's never an improvement, they can't get it, a lot of times now you're going to adjust. You're going to call an audible, so to speak, and be painting manning. But a lot of the times, because you've done your due diligence on the front end, you've, you've assessed them physically, done your 3D work, you've got your back data, you've got your video, you've got your statistical analysis. If you have all those pieces of data in front of you, then it becomes very, very simple when you apply some critical thinking. You're like, okay, well, here's the way to go. So I think it's one of those things you take all the information in and then you make the right decision. I think, you know, well, one of my peers, Cameron McCormick, says you measure twice and cut once type deal. And that, I think that's a, a fairly good analogy. Dumb down, it's like do it all right the first time make sure you, you make the right decision. And then a lot of times based on experience, it's unlikely that you're going to make the wrong decision. Yeah, no, I, and I think that's a great point. I think that not skipping that assessment period is really important, but something really common in the golf world is just skipping through all that, whether it's looking at the body, you know, going through the entire process, looking at the statistics of, of what's actually going on and just people see one or two golf swings and skip right to the process of making a technique change. Do you see that's where a lot of tri people get in trouble? 100%. 100% because, you know, players want instant gratification. Most players, particularly at the elite level, they're already extremely gifted. From the PGA Tour, for example, you're already one of the top half a percent of golfers that ever's walked the planet. So your ability to do things is very quick. Now, also change intimidates people, but it's a lot easier to say, oh, I'll just try this. But if you don't take the big picture view, you never know what shot they're trying to hit. How do they play golf courses? What are their bias? All those things need to go into a decision-making. Really, with any golfer, you might change the evaluation a little bit, but you need to know how they move. So physical assessment, TPI assessment, understanding their functional movement, that's, that's number one. So are they? how do they move? Because you don't want to ask them to do something that they physically can't. That's terrible. There's lots of great physical assessment tools, but see, it's certified TPI professional there. Very easy, simple screen. So then you obviously want to look at either TrackMan or Foresight. Some Foresight club data, some 3D data with KVEST, AMM or Gears. Those things are, are really, really good. And then once you've got that, then maybe some skill testing in terms of on the golf course, watching what they do, and then statistical data analysis of like, here's your stats. Here's kind of what you do. Once you take all that, know what they want to do, then it becomes quite easy because it leads you down the path of, okay, well, you're doing this, and that's why this is happening. So this is the one thing we need to adjust. And a lot of times, it's not always something super complicated. Sometimes, like I said earlier, it can be as simple as a ball position, an alignment issue. The grip could be a little off. They, they might, the club face may be a little open or a little closed. Those are biases that everybody kind of builds off. So there's, there's always a fairly big outlier that's there that you, you can see. Some cases are more complicated than others, but do your due diligence on the front end, 
makes life much easier on the back end. And I think you've got to come up with a, a process, whether it's for your juniors, your members, your ladies, your elite players, you can still have a version of the same sort of evaluation and testing, depending on the player, the level of complexity, but that gives you a really good baseline of what to do. And that's why a lot of my sessions are all coaching sessions. Our academy at Greystone in Birmingham, we have coaching programs that run monthly, so we allow enough time to do these things. The one-on-one hour lesson is great, but needs to sort of come after you've done initial evaluation so you, you understand what the golfer can and can't do. And that's the real key to making it a change is, again, whether it's injury or performance and then taking the data to figure out why that might be happening. And then that makes your prescription that much easier. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure to say a big thank you to Mark for joining us, whether that's on Twitter or Instagram. Follow him there. Tag him in a comment or in a tweet and let him know that you listened and say thanks for taking the time. If you have listened to the Golf Science Lab podcast and have enjoyed it, make sure to subscribe in the podcast after you're listening and then join us on the email list, our Golf Science Lab insider list. You will get all of our updates and our newsletter called The Dispatch, which is a, some unique insights and things from around the industry that I find interesting. You might too. Head over to golfsciencelab.com insider to get access to that. This episode was hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker and was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions. We'll see you all next week.